Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Beamvoice. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to Nico Arellano from Canada. Hi, Nico. How are you doing? It's a great pleasure to be here in your podcast. I have been following your podcast for maybe a year or so, and and it's unreal to be here. Like, I feel very humbled to be here after so many inspiring people that you have as guests. So. Thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. Then that means that you have a quite inspiring story as well to be I hope, here. No, I'm just I kidding. Hope somebody, if, if somebody can get inspired by anything I say, I will be honored. But uh, yeah. Yes, just, yes. I'm, I'm very happy to have you here and learn more about what you are doing because I really believe what you are doing is quite interesting and definitely well deserved for anyone else to know about it. So let's go slowly about this. Tell us a few words about yourself and then let's dive in into what you are going to tell us today. Sure. Okay. So yeah. So you, you said that I'm, I'm from Canada, so I, I have a Canadian citizenship like recently acquired, but I am, I am from Chile, uh, from Santiago, South America. And I study there, I, I am an architect by background, so I study there uh, in Universidad Católica of Chile. And, uh, and after I finished my studies, I did um, like a certificate, a diploma on BIM, uh, BIM, BIM projects. And then I moved to, I got married and moved to Canada, like that was like maybe eight, almost eight years ago. And when I moved to Canada, you know, when, when you, when you move to a new place, you just uh, you are open to do whatever work you you can find. And I was lucky enough to to be hired in an architectural firm, really nice one. It was great. I was going to do BIM. I was I was hired because I knew BIM, you know. But when you start working on a firm and you are the new person, they are going to give you all of the stuff that nobody wants to do, of course. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I I had in my mind that uh, all of this idea about being being this amazing super sophisticated uh, parametric collaborative interoperative uh, process to to maybe improve the AC industry and then I am there in this studio doing the most repetitive and mundane task you know like okay we have this campus 10 10 buildings and you have to go and rename each room one by one uh, and, and I was like hours and hours doing that job. And, and what, what was the logic of it? For example, okay, my manager would say, okay, you have to find the intersection of grids, A2, put that into the into the room number, and then the level, and then the the wing in which in, in which that room was. So it was it was so so robotic. And somebody, like a colleague uh, by then, uh, Kirk Stocky, a really f a good friend of me, told me, hey, have you heard about Dynamo? I'm like, what the hell? So yeah, basically all of those instructions that the manager is giving to you, you can give those instructions back to Revit. So I'm like, okay, so I started playing with that. I, uh, and, and I realized that the computer should be doing those things, not humans, you know? We, we should be doing more creative things, more... <laughs> Uh, uh, like better things with our with our mind than doing those pro, uh, repetitive stuff. Definitely. So I started like little by little uh, programming, or uh, like this is visual programming. So it's it's a little it's a little, it's a little more like a path. You know, you, you are uh, putting inputs and outputs on boxes. It's not like uh, writing uh, code. But then I started doing some script for different tasks, and then I started uh, getting better. They gave me more. Uh, responsibility, so I started writing a lot of scripts for many different tasks, automating a lot of things. Then I realized that, okay, you know, in order to do BIM well, you need to start crafting or you need to start managing the tools well. So 
before for me being was just uh, you know Revit or ArchiCAD or any of those big software but I didn't realize that BIM was way more than that and when I started playing with with programming tools I, I, I understood that if you cannot manage well the tools it's, it's really hard to manage the whole process a year after that this uh, friend of mine uh, Kirk invited me to teach a BIM course so it was BIM, like everything about BIM, and also a tutorial about Revit on a college. I did that for four years. So I was like teaching BIM, BIM, BIM to, to students and everyone. And there is, a, there is an old paradox that said that fish don't know that they are wet because they are so used to the water that they, they don't realize that they are in this medium. And I felt the same in, in BIM, you know, like we are so used to this software that works so well, that are powerful and are are beautiful that we don't realize that it doesn't need to be like that. So I said, okay, you know, I have to start learning about this, you know, about like software and about tools and about like all of the systems that we use in order to get a better result with BIM. So I joined Cartoon University Master. I think this was like five years ago. I did a year of master and then I jumped into the PhD because I really like researching about this. And my supervisor, Professor Stephen Fai, uh, invite me to work at this amazing lab uh, that is called uh, Carton Immersive Media Studio, Sims. And I have been like working there like as a team lead for large uh, BIM project for, for many years. And now, so like four, four years. And, um, and basically I started researching about that. That was my research, like what are the skills that we need in order to master the tools that we use? Because otherwise we have too many layers that separate us from the object which is you know the buildings or our cities or whatever and when that happens when there is a disconnection between the creative process the architect or whoever ac professional is behind that, that computer and the object the building the city etc that's when we start getting like in trouble you know and that's why our industry is so <laughs> in problem you know yeah so just to wrap up I was saying I was very comfortable with the software that I was using. I was happy with Dynamo and, and the way we were managing the projects. And of course, because they were, these were large asset information models, for example, the Parliament of Canada, the whole campus of Carton University for, with more than 50 buildings. Uh, so the, these models started to get like very big and complex. And then our tools started to become like too many issues. We had to find too many ways around. And, and at around two years ago, a colleague of me told me, have you heard about open source stuff? I never heard about that. I, it's, this is crazy. I never heard about that. I, I'm like, what is that? So read about this free software foundation, read about this uh, Eric Raymond and the uh, uh, open source initiative or the Cathedral and the Bazaar or uh, the, I don't know, the, um, the GANU project, the four freedoms for the user of software, all of those things I was like, this is insane, like how nobody told me about this when I was a student, when I had all the time in the world and when I didn't have like a family. So I started getting very obsessed about that, reading and started reading about the Dion Mood uh, uh, blog, where he's very critical about the, you know, the vendors. And I was reading about that, I was like going nuts. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I learned about Blender Beam. I was like, this is insane. And then all-star community uh, was also created about that time. So I, I was like very looking into that. And at the end of that year, I find IFCAS. So Antonio, I, I think 
I think it was maybe in your podcast or or, or somewhere else that I hear an interview of Antonio. I, I, I'm like, this is this is too good, <laughs> this is too amazing. So so yeah, so I started playing with that. Uh, I, I I also participated in a hackathon by Speckle. So you know you you also had uh, Dimitri and, and Matteo here. Um, and, and I took some courses on computer science in the university and then the IFCDS people launched the, the IFC crash course and then after that we started getting so much momentum, you know, like learning about HTML, CSS, JavaScript, 3JS, IFCJS, etc, etc. And now we are in the advanced, like now our lab is a patron, Sims lab is a patron of uh, IFCJS. So many uh, researchers in my lab are doing the class course, and then uh, uh, me and other uh, researchers are doing the advanced front end, which is been really, really, really amazing for for our uh, for our projects. That sounds very, very cool. Looks like you are very excited and fired uh, up by the new technology like me. It's really cool to see other people. I'm sure you know about Twin as well, right? You are uh, you are also waiting for that to uh, to take over. So oh, yeah, that, we are that, heading that's into a very, very interesting year, 2023. Yeah. I can't wait to find out the names of the companies. And yeah, uh, yeah really looking forward to that. It's going to be very, very cool. Definitely, yeah. Like So I, I hope they release that list soon and, and we learn more about that project because next year is going to be really fun for, mm-hmm. for that project, for sure. What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve with all this open source? How do you feel about open source now? After two years, two years after you heard about it and uh, immerse yourself into this, what is your feeling right now regarding it? So in, in one of the blogs, I was mentioning uh, mirroring the Moods blogs. And in one of those on, on those uh, readings, I, I, I read the term black box beam. Okay. And I was like, Oh, this this makes a lot of sense because uh, uh, I, I was like, okay, so what is a black box? A black box is pretty much is a is a system that you can only know in terms of its inputs and outputs, but which process is opaque and is unknown for the users. So I was like, okay, this is exactly what we're doing with BIM. You know, this is exactly what we are doing, and it's crazy. We don't know the process, and all our creative work and process cannot be driven through a uh, opaque system that we cannot control. So I, after I, I was uh, thinking about that, I was like, okay, what I what I really want from my research is to help to the black box. So that's the name of my research, the black box beam. And in order to to dream about that, or in order to to get closer to that uh, goal, uh, two conditions must be met. Okay. The first one that is very important is that the tools that we use must be open source, which means that the code, so or the or the instructions uh, that 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 help you to interact with the software need to be accessible, uh, readable, like in a in a human readable language, and we should be able to to understand it and read it. And the second uh, condition, of course, that's the first one. The second condition is obvious. We need to understand what we're reading because if, for example, Autodesk decide to open source all of their stuff, and we go and look at the code source and we don't understand anything. It, we're in the same position that before. You know, we can do don't do anything. So the second condition is that we need to educate ourselves and our communities in coding literacy. You know, so I was okay. How how can I tackle? I, I know this is very ambitious, but how can I, how can I tackle these these two approaches? 
The first one is the one that I that I have been uh, doing with the with these uh, open source communities. So participate in the communities, try to make them, try to spread the word, try to uh, help them. Uh, if, if you don't know coding, because right now I feel that I'm in, in a in a beginning position, but you can help with uh, like uh, talking about the platform or you can maybe help them with some bounties, things like that. And make sure that the tools that we use uh, are open source, you know, because because of, of, of I was, uh, what I was saying before. The second one is uh, education. So make sure that, uh, for example, uh, more people know about, uh, about coding and know how to interact and master the tools. And for that, I am thinking about for next year, uh, creating like a, a course, like a coding course for uh, undergrad students in Carter University. And so where, where, where we can like give them awareness or like uh, make them critic about the tools that we use in early, in, in early their, their career, you know? So something that I think is really wrong is that uh, in, in a school we teach them uh, BIM and Revit at the same time, instead of like make them aware that this is a medium that we have to uh, control first or or uh, or uh, master first. So yeah, so we do with, with those two conditions, it's possible to to the to the black box bin. And why I think it is important to the black box bin? This goes to the definition uh, by by Building Smart International when they define Open Beam. They define a, a, a list of values, for example, interoperability, collaboration, transparency, vendor neutral, etc. So they put a list of values that OpenBeam requires to have. Mm-hmm. And, and when I look at the way we are working with Beam, so with closed Beam basically, or with proprietary Beam, all of those uh, values is impossible to get them. You know, it's impossible to interoperate. It's impossible to collaborate with the ways that we with closed format, for example. So, um, so if we think OpenBeam is a good thing, I think we, we must uh, promote and pursue open source tools. And finally, uh, something that also I think I, I heard from somebody from the open source uh, art, of, art group is that all of those values that uh, Building Smart defined as OpenBeam is exactly what Beam was originally made for. So, Having to come with a word, with a with a term that is called open beam of something that was supposed to be open by default, it's wrong. We should be it's calling, a bad start. Yeah, it's a it's something exactly, negative. We this closed beam, and then the other thing is beam. Everything is open, you know. And so yeah, that that I don't know if that answered your question, but that's why why it's important for me open source. So you are working in this project the black box beam you will be working for two years or how how much time do you have on this project so ideally i want to keep doing my phd forever (laughs) no no but uh, (laughs) as as soon as they kick me out no this is my fourth year of phd Uh, i am finishing the courses this term and then i have to write my thesis and my thesis is about this and in carton we have this thing that we call the epistemic object so basically you write your theory and, and all of your like not uh, your knowledge base and then you create a project or an object that kind of like supports it's like the pragmatic version of your theory and okay. and for me i am uh, working at sims with a team of people creating this thing that we call the best best pod 
web-based open source platform. So Bestbook, because it's custom made, you know, it's, it's made exactly for us. When we use like vendor tools, we download like 30 gigas or features that maybe you're not going to use. In this case, we want to use the features that we exactly want for our project. And then it needs to be web-based because we don't want the users of the, of the platform to have to download any software, just use their mother browser. Uh, and we want it open source for, uh, again, to make it community-based, to make it uh, easy to debug. Uh, we also want it to be free uh, for users, etc. And and so that's kind of like the the idea of the project. And for and for and with that idea, Bespoke Online, the open source uh, platform, we are we have like different projects. One of them, for example, is the Digital Campus. That right now we have it online. People can access to it and see all of the IFCs uh, on Mapbox, so on this uh, GIS or map uh, render. And we are working on something that we call the Imagine Canada Digital Twin. That is a larger, it's like a larger project based on the written digital twin. But in, in our case, we wanted to make, we want to make it free and open source. So we're, we're thinking about how can we make that, making connection with other provinces, with with people in Montreal, with people in Kingston, people in Toronto, to how to try to make a, a digital twin for Canada, but accessible. So mm -hmm. again, like maybe that's a that's a long conversation that we can have another day. But it, it's a very interesting project, and it's based on on all of these tools. So uh, uh, Map Mapbox or Map Libre, um, IFCAS, TreeAS, uh, MongoDB. So it's a it's a it's uh, putting a lot of different uh, libraries together to make this product that, yeah, that we're having a lot of fun making. That sounds very interesting. We'll definitely have a look at that someday. <laughs> no doubt about it. Let me ask you something about, you mentioned about these two things that you think are important to the Black Box BIM, but there is more to it. Let's say that your thesis is a success. Then how do we manage to roll out this for the entire Canada or uh, the entire world. What other measures could we take to uh, open this beam, which was supposed to be open in the first place? In my opinion, uh, it is very important to follow standards because uh, when, when your work, when, when you think that you can do your work uh, in a unique way, and then for people it's really hard to understand the workflow and participate, that's not very easy to scale uh, and to maintain. So we we have been trying to be very careful or, or very like uh, systematically following uh, standards. So for example, one one of the one the, the, the standard that we try to follow is the ISO uh, standard. And ISO has like many uh, different uh, series, but of course 19650 uh, is very important to follow. And uh, 19650 has a uh, a whole chapter about open beam and open data, how they call it. So yeah, so that uh, is, is very important to follow uh, main conventions. And again, like uh, any other type of open standards, for example, as I was mentioning, IFC for us is very important. Maybe it's not perfect. Some people critique IFC a lot, but it's, in my opinion, the best we have to collaborate. So stick to the open standards. Uh, if we are going to do data, for example, stick to uh, JSON. If we're going to do GIS, stick to GeoJSON and and GLTF. You know, so try try to be mindful about that. That all of the little pieces that we're doing, 
need to be standardized and it needs to be open. There is a challenge with this. I remember from previous talks I had with other guests from Canada or US that actually is quite a challenge regarding these standards because most of the clients in their requirements, they just say you need to deliver the Revit file or the X file, right? They do not even think about IFC or open standards. How do we deal with this? Well, it's, it's hard to change the industry. This industry is really, really slow in like acquiring change. So one like little contribution that we can do is start from our projects, like try not to create a new set of standards every time that we create a project, but try to follow the ones that exist already. That's why ISO is important, international standard organization in this, because those are conventions, those are agreements of a lot of players that have sit together and say, okay, how can we contribute to make this industry more, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like uh, to, to have more uh, better communication uh, within the industry, no? But I mean, how do we persuade these clients, these asset managers, these asset owners to specify and to enforce OpenVIM or their projects? Is it true that in Canada right now, is this what is the business as usual, like for requirements to be required to deliver Revit files and so on? And then what is needed actually? Education is one of the things, but what more can we do maybe to help these clients to understand the value and not only understand, to try to require OpenBeam, mm-hmm. right? And I don't expect yeah. you to have a silver bullet solution. I'm just wondering, do you have any ideas how can we tackle this? That's a really good point, Petro, because uh, that's also one of the triggers in my research that says, hey, this is important. You have to work on this. And when I started to hear about the mandates that different countries or different governments are, you know, like requiring uh, mm-hmm. AT professionals to follow. So, for example, when you say, okay, there, there are BIM mandates or there are, BIM, for example, BIM level two in Great Britain in 2016. So you, you say, okay, what, what this means is that BIM is not just an option. It's not a, something that you can choose to do or not to do. More and more, uh, the the governments are like uh, like requiring you to use this. So uh, when when this stops to be an option, it's it's, it's uh, it could be it could be dangerous because you, you you say okay, if I don't use BIM, that means that I cannot participate in the conver- in a public conversation. For example, I cannot participate in public work, and that that kind of like limitate your your uh, field of work. So when, when that happens, when BIM starts to become a, a mandate and not an option, it's really important that we really understand it and do it well. And, and when, of course, we know that, I don't want to start to start talking about the big companies, but we know that there is like, there, there, there exists some uh, a mon- monopoly uh, uh, practices in the big vendor uh, in our industry. And that means that, okay, when you have to pay $3,000 for a one user license for a software that we are using. That means that maybe for a small firm, 20, 30% of their revenue is going to be spent in paying licenses. And that, that shouldn't be right. And the only way of participating in a public work in Canada is like that, in other countries like that. I have a list of many countries that are uh, adding the BIM mandates. And BIM mandates in many countries means either Revit mandate or, you know, uh, so, so yeah, it shouldn't be like that. And you were asking me if I have any idea of how can we show that it is important. It's just showing that 
that we can do great things with open source or with non-proprietary tools. So if, if that happens, if we can, I don't know, manage to, to be uh, professional, to be competitive using uh, alternative tools, maybe some people are going to start following. And maybe mm -hmm. if you need like a, a initial investment of hiring people that know code, etc. Maybe that investment is less than paying like the millions of dollars in software licenses that we are used to right now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something um, good to start with. Follow good examples, I would add to that. We are not trying to break the ice here. We are not trying to re reinvent the wheel. This is already happening, guys, in, in uh, Norway, in Finland, in Denmark, in Sweden, maybe a bit lesser, but yeah, maybe it's happening there as well. This is not uh, something in the concept phase or something like that. In Norway, it's in the phase of implementing it by as much as possible um, clients and asset owners, asset managers. It's not a trial and error phase anymore, it's implementation phase, right? I like people that take action uh, about this because we, we know in 2020, a lot of big firms send a letter to Autodesk saying, hey, we are really pissed about the tools. And then Autodesk say, okay, but this is the way it is. So deal with it or leave, you know? Mm -hmm. And then nothing happened. And in 2022, I think, the Danish letter, we're still waiting for answers. Yeah. What is going to happen with with all of these things that we uh, asked for? And and yeah, so one approach is to keep writing letters, so so the so the industry gets pitched from a top-down approach, or other people like Antonio, Jesus, and Dion, and you know, all of these guys building the solution from bottom up. I think I like that approach more, so I'm going to keep uh, yeah. trying to collaborate with them and, and and spread the word that this is this is the right approach, in my opinion. Yeah, nobody will give any two cents on the letters because they are just making too much money too about it. So yeah, it is what it is. And something else, I'm not delusional. I don't think it's possible to read black box beam overnight and 100%. Like these tools will be, will still be here for a long time, unless something really radical, disruptive changes, like uh, the OpenAI uh, bot chat and everything, like something crazy like that comes and uh, can have a huge impact. We never know. But realistically speaking, I think that should not be our aim to replace everything. That would be crazy. But what I think is most important here is to have options. It's a very bad situation where you do not have options. I think this should be the ideal goal. And who wants to look for alternatives to have these alternatives in place? That's the most important thing because not everyone will be willing to look for alternatives and that is perfectly fine. Not everyone needs to do it, right? But for those interested, it's a real shame that they don't have any alternatives right now. Because you worked so many years in BIM, what advice would you give to somebody who is newly finishing his life as a student and starting uh, looking for a job or for somebody else like an architect or an engineer who is working in this industry but not with BIM? What would you recommend them to do to get into a BIM career path? This is a tricky one because uh, when you are looking for a job, a lot of firms ask you, for, ask you to have in your in your toolbox uh, to know software to know software really well and to have experience using the software and i think that's problematic because if if, if eventually the software changes or there is something then you don't you don't have anything else to offer so i would i would say okay software are important learn them they, they are they are good uh, they, they can help you to 
to do your work better if, if you if you know how to use them but the most important thing is is to understand the processes so what what is the process of being because building information modeling is not only um, a thing it's also like a process and and it is really important to understand what it is what is the value what are the problems that it has and, and understand like in that sense not only in the sense of the technology that you are using so some people really think that Reddit or that BIM is actually Reddit and in my opinion that's limiting or or, or that they put, put in their resume like okay I know uh, Reddit, Emotion and Lumion and blah blah but I think uh, again if, if that firm change do like a technology change you have to learn everything from scratch no mm -hmm. it's there try to learn the processes try to learn things that are more standardized and i think that will facilitate things when you want to understand a different technology even if i don't like it if you see that in job post you see like 90 percent of them are requiring revit just do a exactly. course it's fine you need to start somewhere and then build on that but don't rely only on that it's always good to have something at the base that you can land on, that you do 80% of your tasks, but at the same time, provide more value by doing exactly. these things that you are talking about, these things that not everyone is doing, right? And this way, more opportunities will also open to you because now you learn Revit and you are going to be a BIM technician or a BIM uh, modeler, right? But there are more things you can do. You, you can become a BIM coordinator, BIM uh, manager, right? For that is definitely not enough. Although in some big organizations, it might be enough just uh, being a Revit guide, a Revit BIM manager, because there are so many tasks, right? But uh, in general, not necessarily. Now it depends also in your location and how they work and so on. Yeah, uh, we'll leave it at this, Nico. It was very nice to have you. Thank you very much for joining me. Now, please tell me how somebody can reach out to you if they are interested to ask you something or to connect with you. So first, they can reach me to my LinkedIn. So it's Nico Arellano at LinkedIn, I think, or LinkedIn.com. Uh, also, uh, I don't know if I can give you my team's email address and then also like uh, if, if you can take a look at the project, Sims projects that we are doing because we, we have like a big range of different projects that are really interesting. So, and yeah, uh, any, we are really like to collaborate with different actors. So if, if you, if you like what we do, like don't, don't be shy and, and reach out to us and we'll be glad to initialize any conversation from. And finally, Petro, thank you so much for the time and, and for, for the invitation. It's been a pleasure to talk to you as usual. Thank you very much and good luck. Be blackboxing BIM.